everything that we hold up is why it doesn't apply to us. I can show you an example of someone who's got it, you know, quote unquote, has it worse and why it still applies to them and to you. So I'm uh, pleased today to be here with Brian Falchuk. He is the CEO of PLRB and a well-recognized uh, author, thought leader, and industry advisor for insurance and insurtech. Welcome, Brian. Thank you for having me on, Josh. Yeah, so there's there's two sides to me. One is uh, I run an industry organization called PLRB that people may know if they're uh, especially on the claim side, and we help the industry uh, with delivering coverage, to put it as simply as possible, um, and host a number of events and education and lots of other great stuff to support the insurance industry. And uh, and I put out books and podcasts and speaking and and other things to try to help bring bring to light i think examples and uh and guidance on how we can do better as an industry move us forward because it is a really important space and um you know I, I keep saying like nothing in the world happens without insurance behind it so much in this world cannot happen without the safety and security of knowing that you know if, if a risk were to play out someone would take care of it it's a big deal and so i this industry matters to me you know, I think you've got some new content, um, so maybe we ought to just, you know, jump into that now. I am just about to, like within days, uh, releasing the third book in the Future of Insurance series. So I've been putting out the series that's secretly, it's like self-help for the industry. So it's stories of, you know, insurers, new and old, there's insure techs and legacy folks who are overcoming a lot of the things that we hold up as, you know, we can't because, insert, you know, IT problems, regulation, et cetera, culture, what have you. Despite that, they're doing it. And so for the third book, I didn't want to look at one side or the other. I wanted to look at the coming together of the new and the old. How do we work together better to move ourselves forward? We can't solve everything on our own. While we are better than we used to be as collaborators, you know, we can move faster in some respects and we can be more flexible and try new tech just because we're better than we used to be doesn't mean that there aren't lessons for us to take on. It's not about what they put in place. We talk about, you know, this tech or, or for this purpose, and that's fine. It's really about how they put it in place. You know, what did they do to move faster? Where did they get hung up? It's not all roses. And you know, very real stories like, look, this didn't go well. Um, and here's why. The, the Overall, the projects did. Uh, they all ended, uh, they ended well. But, um, you know, they had ups and downs because that's reality. And so... Is the is the book organized around certain certain themes, or how 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 did you kind of weave these stories together? Yeah. So each of the I, I tell each of the stories in and of themselves, and there's lessons from the stories, and and I can share the the carriers that I think some everyone will know, and some you know maybe new to some people. So each one of those cases has their own lessons, but then there are these meta themes that come up across all of them, and that's the last part of the book is, and, and all of the future of insurance books are structured this way. Um, I present these sort of three overarching lessons that you'll find in each one of the cases. So they're, they're omnipresent. Are there certain lessons in terms of key things at the leadership level, key things at the management level, key things at the execution level that you might highlight? I think generally the lessons are focused at more of the leadership level, but there are a number that come in at the day-to-day -day level because ultimately like if we're talking about defining the interaction, defining the culture of that collaboration, there's going to be ways that that plays out at a ground level. How much are you working together? 
Um, you know, one of the examples I give is like at a startup, everyone does everything because you have to, there's not enough people, there's too much to do. And so people are pitching in generally to get things done at a more established company. We have our box, right? Like, well, that's not my job or I'm not responsible for that. So, you know, I pass it on to so-and-so if they didn't come through, that's not my problem. The lessons are not just one-sided. They're, they're for the, the solution providers too. And for the carriers, it's like, look, if you're on this team, you're on this team. You know, you need to be a part of this. You need to take responsibility. You have to think about the bigger picture. And so there, there are decisions and guidance at every level, but it does, I think it does start with that definitional set of decisions right from the top, right from the start. Are there any of the themes from the prior books or observations from the prior books that you've seen only seen reinforced here? And then are there any things that are different now that maybe you've got a, you know, a little bit different perspective on a few years later? One thing that I've found the, those major takeaways, I think in each of the book, they're universal. So the first book was all about legacy carriers and there's really nothing in those takeaways that only applies to legacy carriers. It's not even just insurance kind of stuff per se, but I've seen those same lessons in the distribution space, in the solution provider space, um, whether you're an investor or a startup, a legacy, it doesn't matter. They're, they're universal kinds of things. The same thing with the startups. You know, I, I see making capital strategic is one of the pieces of advice from the second book for startups. And you think, well, startups, that's like they're investors, right? Like get a strategic investor who understands your space and, and not just a checkbook. Yes, but if you're a legacy player, you can't tell me capital doesn't matter to you. Capital is the underlying pillar of this whole industry. If you're not thinking of it on a strategic basis, you're really missing something. That's not just a lesson for startups. So I think these lessons do transcend. It could also be confirmation bias that I'm seeing the lessons yeah. everywhere, but I, I don't feel like it's a reach. Actually, if you really stop and think about it, um, I do think this stuff applies pretty universally. And that's, that's part of how I've chosen those takeaways because there's lots of other lessons in each of the cases. I'm trying to look for things that really do transcend because again, I don't want anyone to say, yeah, but that doesn't apply to me. I don't need to follow that because look at me over here. Everything that we hold up is why it doesn't apply to us. I can show you an example of someone who's got it, you know, quote unquote, has it worse and why it still applies to them and to you. And that's kind of, that's the point of what I've chosen for all the books is I want things to make anyone stop and think like, yeah, actually this does apply to me. Maybe I can do differently because that could be an inspiration for me. So yep. do you have any advice for people as they think about, you know, if they were to read the book and say, okay, I get it. You know, we need to, we, we, we need to think about this differently and, and, and try this, you know, what comes next? Um, what comes next is the hardest part. Um, you know, definitely like convincing people is, is a tough thing, but I do find generally the tone in the industry has become one more of acceptance of like, yeah, we do need to do better and we need guidance on how. And what I found is it's not baby steps, but it is like a successive unlocking. So you start to move your minds, you can start to engage differently and you, and you make progress that way. When you go into something with the presumption that it's not going to work or that it's impossible, then it's not going to work and it's impossible. Right. But if you, like, I keep saying to people, what if it did work? Could you, if you suspended disbelief for a minute, what would you have to do? Like, if you assume this works, what do you need to put in place to do it? And that's from a thinking standpoint, that's kind of where I go on the next steps. It's like, all right, well, you accept something needs to be different. Here's something we're looking at that feels like it's too different. It won't work. 
what if we just assume the software does what it says and it can be implemented in the time that they say it can? Then what? What do we need to do? And it turns into more kind of planning out how to operationalize it. And what you find is like, people are generally pretty good experts in their own business. You just have to take the chains off. Um, and so, and those chains are what we've been taught over the years that like nothing is what it's said to be. It's going to be harder. The functionality won't be there or those partners won't deliver or whatever it is. What if we just allowed for it? And, you know, especially in contracting, like the whole point of contracting is protecting yourself from everything going upside down because when it, when, and if it does, that's not when you sort out who's responsible for what and who has to pay for what and, you know, et cetera. You're doing that now to protect you like an insurance policy, like everything not working out, but it sets the tone. It's like, we just spent X months negotiating this contract, which is basically setting our mindset that everything failed. And that's why it gets argumentative and whatnot. Everything went with this notion that I'm going to assume that this does what it says it will do. If that's really true, what do I need to do then? What needs to be in place and how do we need to operate? And it's like just that first freeing act starts a domino of, you know, domino pattern of, of possibility. And so you do just sort of have to engage that way and then just problem solve. And, and maybe your people have more answers than you think they will. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think I'd be the first person to say that because of the nature of the industry itself and always trying to manage risk that it creates a mindset of, you know, looking for the problem yeah. Um, or, or trying to manage against the problem up front versus the upside on the other end. Yeah. Our upside is really limited in insurance. It's premium minus expenses and commission. It's not that much. The downside's really big by comparison. You know, $40,000 policy might have a five mil limit. So the best we're going to do is like 40,000 minus 20% or whatever. We could do negative 5 million on that. And that's, that trains you. VC is looking at it the other way around. Their downside is whatever their investment is. Worst case scenario, they lose that. And that's too bad, but that's not going to destroy them. And frankly, it's not their money. It's their LP's money. But the upside is wide open. They're not looking at rooting out losers. It's okay if they have a few losers. They're trying to find those one or two wild successes, and that makes everything worth it. For an underwriter, you don't care about a win. A win is basically worthless. You're just trying to avoid the losers. It's like yeah. it's the same analysis, but in opposite directions. And that does frame our mindset on these things. So, uh, Brian, this is really interesting. Anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Uh, no, I mean, I, I just, I invite people to engage with it and, you know, open your minds up to the stories. I think they're interesting. I'm biased, but like, I think they're good stories. I think it's neat kind of learning about what other people in our shoes are going through or similar shoes to us, or maybe just slightly different enough that we suspend some of our own constraints and just listen. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I hope people are interested in that and curious to pick up the book or just to, you know, start talking about this stuff. I think that's where the value lies. So if anyone's looking for the book, where can they find it? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's available on Amazon, um, in all formats, Kindle print, audible, the whole nine. Um, and also they can go to future dash of dash insurance.com slash three, like the number three, cause it's the third volume and, uh, that'll take them through to everything. And it's up for pre-order right now, but it's coming out officially on June 8th, but they can still get their hands on it or lock it in right now. Brian Falchuk, author, 
of the future of insurance, the collaborators. Uh, it's really great to have you on. Thank you for having me, Josh.